This is episode 10 of the Routine by Rockpool podcast. Each week, we bring you personal stories and powerful insights from leading entrepreneurs, athletes, and creatives, helping you to unlock your true potential. Joining me, as always, is Rockpool co-founder, Zubair Timmel. At Rockpool, we are passionate about helping guys on their path to looking and feeling their best selves. We believe that a thoughtful routine and positive habits, when practiced consistently, hold the key to unlocking the mindset to do amazing things. We have set out on a mission to meet and spend time with dynamic, creative, and successful guys to observe their daily routine and look for the insights to the tools and tactics that they use to propel themselves forward. Today, we're really pleased to be in conversation with Louis Lebos. Louis is the founding partner of Astrolabs, and before Astrolabs, Louis was co-founder of Namshi, an e-commerce portal for the Middle East. Welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome, Lewis. You've uh, zoomed over from the palm, right? So great to have you here. So let's jump straight into it. So you've been privy to lots of great tech experiences. You've built companies, etc. For our listeners, typically they like to get an insight into the person. So maybe you can share with us one thing that maybe our listeners wouldn't expect to know about you. Oof. Uh, <laughs> I, I told you guys I like surprising questions. I didn't uh, expect this one, uh, at least at the beginning. Uh, one surprising thing. Uh, I guess um, one thing is I was supposed to be an astrophysicist and um, I failed into this career. Uh, so um, that's, um, uh, that's one thing about me. Uh, maybe another thing is um, I have a pair of extra ribs. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, like... Uh, in my neck, uh, which is like 0.01% of the population in the world uh, have them. So maybe these are two fun facts. Yeah, I mean, that's super interesting, right? I mean, let's just back up a little bit. Astrophysicist, I mean, that sounds super complicated, even pronouncing that word, right? <laughs> so what happened with that career? Um, yeah, so um, I, um, I was always like a um, science nerd since I was like a very little kid. I don't know how it started. Uh, but uh, I just remember being science nerd and reading science books um, and always interested in space and understanding how things in space work, uh, right? How do stars work? How was the origin of the universe? All of stuff. And I imagined myself to be, you know, an astrophysicist, which is basically studying these kind of phenomena, how our stars formed, all of this stuff. Um, and uh, I went to uh, university and um, started studying physics on the path of becoming an astrophysicist. And um, honestly, I think um, I just got bored of like doing, you know, math equations all day and not interacting a lot with people. It just didn't feel like as, you know, energy giving as kind of like my imagination of that uh, world uh, to be, right? Um, and um, yeah, I ended up uh, shifting, you know, gears and moving to like electrical engineering, which is, you know, another kind of like interest of mine since I was a kid, you know, taking things apart, understanding how you know, uh, electronics work and uh, end up in that world. That's awesome. Yeah. And when you think about astrophysics and what you learn in terms of a foundation, do you feel that principles are still with you today? Um, it's funny because a few weeks ago I tweeted that finally the physics I learned are useful because um, I have a three-year-old and uh, any answer I give him, he follows up with another why. 
And um, I joke that everything ends up being either physics or philosophy after like a series of whys. If you ask enough whys, it's either a philosophical answer or a physics answer. So it's, it's helpful right now for the three-year-old. Yeah, I, I can imagine, right? I have a nephew who's seven and one who's two. The seven-year-old is every question is a why, right? And um, it's amazing that curiosity that children have Sometimes I think if you maintain that as you grow and develop, maybe your ability to learn and acquire new skills could also improve as well, right? So what do you think? That's, that's I think, uh, curiosity is probably the, you know, most important skill, period. You know, um, if, um, and that's something that I want to impart on him. And this is why I encourage it by answering the wise, right? You could always say, because I said so, or because it is what it is. But uh, by answering those questions, you uh, nurture that curiosity. I think curiosity has helped me uh, a lot, uh, you know, through life. Um, and, you know, imagine someone with curiosity, you know, they're always learning, they're always seeking more, you know, knowledge and personal development. I think that's the most important skill to have out there. Yeah. And yeah. building upon that theme of learning, <clears throat> I think I've read a quote about you, which is like, you try to learn something new every week or every day. Um, and that's just been part of your journey, right? And I think, I can't remember the specific quote. I think it was something along the lines of, if I don't learn something new every day, I might die, right? Yeah, you guys, you guys did uh, your research. Okay, good, good. I just wanted to make sure I got that one right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much out there. So so tell me, like, for someone who's as, as accomplished as you, that is constantly in and out of meetings, etc. number one, how do you find time to learn? And number two, any tips or advice you'd give to our listeners? Oof, I mean, um, I think uh, all time is time to learn, you know, I'm, I'm learning uh, things uh, f from you guys right now. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know how they say about sharks, like, you know, they don't move forward, they like die or something on those lines. I'm not 100% sure I'm not marine biologist. But um, yeah, for me, for me, it's just, um, it, it might not be like a physical death, but it would be like a soul mental death. Um, so I have to be learning things all the time. Advice, uh, I mean, Nurturing curiosity. There's so many interesting things out there in the world. Uh, you know, um, people think that you know what they might be interested in is maybe not important. All of the stuff, but I think um, anything that you're interested in is important and is a path for you know immense knowledge and personal development. So I'm not sure if I have like specific advice. Um, it's um, just I guess you know seeing what's out there in the world and like being having like a beginner's eyes of like how interesting it is. Um, that's just, I think, um, maybe like a mentality that you can adopt. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that I learned from researching you actually, and when I say research, I did a quick search online, yeah. uh, came across your Twitter and the concept of the Lindy effect, mm -hmm. right? And I came across this a few years ago, maybe like yeah. through crypto, etc. Um, I see you've tweeted about it quite a bit. Maybe for our listeners, can you explain what the Lindy effect is and, and why it fascinates you? Um, yeah, so so um, the Lindy effect is basically um, the kind of observation about the world that the longer things uh, exist, the longer they will exist in the future, right? So uh, if a book uh, has been published two years ago. It's likely to be, you know, uh, you know, exists as in uh, popular slash being sold for two years. If a book has been uh, published 500 years ago and is still in circulation, it's likely to last 500 more years, right? And it's um, for for many different kind of like forms of uh, uh, not just art and creation, but like many different things. 
the longer they last, it's a signal about how uh, long they're going to last in the future. And very interesting, I think it was the first time I encountered it, it was counterintuitive. And I mentioned that in the tweet, because you're used to be in the you know, tech science world where the new is always replacing the old. Mm. But if you look at it, you know, uh, again, I think the author Nassim Talib mentions the Lindy effect, and that's how I was uh, exposed to it. You know, if you look at things in this room, chairs, you know, been invented, you know, thousands of years ago. In a thousand years from now, we're more likely to have a chair than this microphone. You know, we're more likely to have a table a thousand years from now than a cell phone. You know, the cell phone might be becoming our brain, you know. So um, that's, I think, a very important kind of perspective about the world of also like appreciating what's old and kind of when you're projecting in the future, not like everything is going to replace. There's a lot of stuff that's actually, you know, constant. Um, but the more I kind of looked into the Lindy effect, not a lot of people have looked into what are the reasons that cause the Lindy effect. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of like for, for years in my mind, like what causes this? What causes this? And then, you know, that tweet uh, is, is going to be too hard to summarize it uh, here, but um, uh, attempts to uh, attempts to kind of like show what some what are some underlying causes in the world that causes that phenomenon to happen. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating. And for, for people tuning in, feel free to Google it uh, and expand upon that concept further. I think at its simplest form, maybe cell phones, right? If you look at the earlier versions of the Nokias and the Motorola's that came out and the first few versions of the iPhone, that version of the Nokia is much more likely to survive robustly as well in comparison to the first. Exactly, right? So so, so if you have, uh, you know, those 9310s, they probably still work now and the battery probably also still works. But, you know, uh, two generations later, you know, a uh, Android iPhone are almost not usable because the software has advanced so much, right? So that's also one of the causes of uh, Lindy is the simple usually outlasts the complex. Um, and that's, you know, the Nokia is more simple. Uh, the more we make things like very complicated, the more they lead to this fragility. Mm. And that's also actually, you know, the title of uh, the book, Anti-Fragile. If is things that like you know sort uh, thrive from disorder, right? Things that when there's like a dislocation or stress, they actually become better. And you know um, that the you know a metaphor for also human beings in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting concept. And before I hand back to Leif, I just want to expand upon that a little bit further, which is at Rockpool we try to create a community where we build resilience for entrepreneurs for the average person that's up there all the way up to an athlete or a CEO. And often when people read about stories about those that are individually successful or collectively successful, they only ever see or hear about the success, mm -hmm. right? But of course, every person has their own journey. So is there any moment in time where you've had like a, a setback or a failure and you've come back stronger from that? Um... Listen, I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's just not one moment. Um, it's uh, it's series of things, right? Uh, so, um, um, like as an example, um, I um, I moved to the US in the year two thousand, and because of some logistical issues, uh, we're not going to go into the US uh, immigration system. Um, I landed, and then my acceptance into university uh, had elapsed. And then like they say, oh, you know, you don't qualify anymore, this type of stuff, you know. Uh, so I actually was like not able to enroll in university when uh, the one that had accepted me, you know, six months uh, prior. And um, I 
um, I had to take like these continuing education classes the first semester and show like high grades for them to accept me as a standard student afterwards. Uh, but because of that kind of like rejection and I, I wanted to like prove myself, right? Mm. And I graduated, you know, in, the, in let's say top 5% of the class. Um, um, you know, there, there's, um, there's many setbacks in life, but I mean, in, in general, I think it's um, how you look at them and um, how you rebound from them. That's like, you know, important. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to be concise here. No, no. I mean, that's that's a really good journey because I think for a lot of people tuning in, maybe they haven't heard or, or even seen that side to you, right? And what we found, at least, Leif, I'm sure you agree, is that when we speak to our guests, like, there is absolutely a series of moments or one particular moment where you've had to face adversity mm -hmm. and and how you respond to that adversity is ultimately how, you know, you shape your outcome, right? And the desired output as well. The flip side of that, and I'm feeling very philosophical today, largely because of the energy that you brought to the table to begin with, right? I mean, we've, we've interviewed many different guests and I think you just came in with like such whim and such gusto, right? And I was like, wow, this is, I think this is gonna be a fun conversation. And so what I find really interesting about you within this first five to 10 minute segment is that whatever you choose to do, like you do that all the way through. And I think there's a level of, um, internal standards you know there's an internal expectation which transcends maybe what the average person may think or feel in relation to you and i probably linked that a little bit back to off off air we were talking about hosting yeah and you know you talked about you know hosting people in lebanon previously and these types of things and when you're the host I think you spend so much time making sure that their experience is great, yep. that you become secondary to that, right? And I think maybe that's why you've been so successful is that when you're creating a company, you spend so much time on making sure that maybe the organization and the philosophy and the depth with which you are growing that organization is there, you're secondary to that. So again, yeah. I know we've gone quite deep quite early, but that was just an observation. It may be wrong, it may be right, I don't know, but just want to show that. No, it's actually like impressively wrong. I mean, as you were speaking, I, uh, I had not like fully uh, thought about it that way, but um, in many ways I could see like examples as you were talking of that, you know, being the case, you know, just, um, um, you know, obsessing about the small experience, you know, be it kind of like the, uh, you know, uh, training uh, program we were talking about with Leith earlier to even like, you know, our co-working spaces years in, if I go into the bathroom and the team had bought that like pink soap, I'd be like annoyed, like why why, why are we doing that uh, that stuff? So, you know, every single thing, you know, setting up the air conditioning, uh, temperature, these type of things. Um, you, um, when you do something, it is in some ways the represent of you to the world, right? And um, it's um, it's kind of like you're offering to other people, but it reflects on you. And I think, um, you know, trying to obsess over how that's presented is very important. Um, yeah, and th I think in some ways, you know, there's a lot of truth with what you said, yeah? Yeah. Interesting observation. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you and Leif know each other quite well, and I think Leif also has that quality where the brands that he's created over time and what you want to project out into the Dubai community is also being first class. But um, yeah, that's quite an interesting start to this conversation. I'm going to hand over to Leif and I'm sure you have a few other ideas to expand upon as well, right? Well, yeah, of course. And it's, um, it's great, to, great to hear some, some, some more um, things about you and from you. Um, I'm remembering the first time I met you, which was 
must have been around 2011, 2012. And that was a, like my first business, which was a co-working uh, yep. uh, cafe, co-working space in Dubai Marina called Make. Yep. Um, Love that place. Used to go all the time. Yeah, I remember. Legendary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember meeting you there. And I, I think I remember you arriving on your motorcycle, your long hair, the founder <laughs> of uh, the new hot startup in the in town. And um, and yeah, that, that was great. And so so. I've always known you as part of the, the ecosystem, which is this sort of like emerging startup scene here in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, following Namshi, you, 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 you set up Astrolabs, which, you know, so many of the brightest, the best and fairest of Dubai have come through the ranks of, uh, of Astrolabs and mm-hmm. through your programs. And, um, and there's so many success stories that I can think of yes. there. Um, so then, yeah, so then going all the way back to your early beginnings, and I'm listening to you today and talking about your your love for astronomy or, or astronomy or astrophysics and yeah. uh, your, your education. But then I did notice um, there was perhaps a turning point where you discovered at university a course, uh, entrepreneurship yeah, for yeah. engineers. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, sitting in this like uh, engineering class, super nerdy, I think it was ECE220, you know, uh, signals and systems. Um, I have like a weird memory because I forget most things and then I remember some very specific things. And then a professor walks in and says, we're creating this engineering entrepreneurs program. Um, I was generally interested in business, but I didn't have like a lot of exposure. And uh, he explains, uh, you know, these are uh, entrepreneurs that are going to come speak once a week and you're going to work on the same kind of projects you work on in engineering, but they're going to be like startup-like. And I joined that program and I just like fell in love uh, with it. And um, we, um, I did it three cycles, one as like a junior part of a team and then yeah, another time as a senior part of the team and then one as like uh, the team uh, team lead. And um, it was an amazing program because, you know, this was 2001 to 2004, basically, those uh, three cycles, uh, you know, post first internet bubble crash, this was in the US. Mm-hmm. And... Um, our uh, our spring break, you know, most of our friends went to you know Cancun and you know this uh, South by the Island and this type of stuff, and we went to Silicon Valley. Mm. There were like twenty of us, the nerdiest people. Such a time um, to be there. And then we went and met. It was um, we had lunch with Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. Oh. Um, we went and um, uh, went to a class at Stanford, the business school, and the speaker that day was Bill Campbell, uh, which is. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, book, uh, The Trillion Dollar Coach. Mm-hmm. He was the coach of the Google co-founders and basically everyone, like every top founder in the Valley. Uh, he passed away, but um, we didn't know who, who he was at the time. He was kind of chairman of Intuit, like you know, that accounting um, uh, company, et cetera. But um, uh, we, we met so many amazing people and just so inspired by the energy of that place. I thought about moving there after graduation and just like, finding anything to do you know this mm-hmm. was 2004 um uh, but i didn't honestly i kind of chickened out maybe if like you know this is a slight regret <laughs> i have in life is um i didn't want to move there without like a job opportunity you know i, I kind of grew up um uh, as, um with no money um and um i graduated with zero money so i needed like a job to survive and uh, I, I didn't have kind of like the uh, maybe grit and uh, courage to go there with uh, you know no money to Silicon Valley, um, but uh, years later, made my way back to the you know tech uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. It was such a, like an interesting time, such an important time, and sometimes I think about that as well. It's hard to 
imagine or realize, you know, what you're in the middle of, you know, or potentially in the middle of. Um, but in hindsight, of course, it's... Uh, it's no, no, like, like it, it was palpable. Uh, so uh, when we it. were there, we felt it. Yeah. You know, just um, you go to different, uh, you know, uh, it was like a, a professor-led uh, trip and we would go to different companies and they would talk about what's happening in the Valley and the collaboration. The energy was very different than anywhere else in the world. Mm. Thankfully, that kind of like mentality has spread more and more uh, in the world. But um, it just uh, felt so inspiring. Uh, honestly, if it was not like if it was a little bit more financially secure, I think I would have uh, done it. It was so inspiring the stuff that was happening. We went and met the guys that created that uh, kind of like one of the first smartphone. The company was called Danger, and they made this uh, smartphone with like a keyboard uh, that uh, in the US was branded as like T-Mobile uh, something. Um, and the company didn't uh, didn't end up making it, but uh, um, so many people that like high energy, amazing people, super smart, but like, you know, sharing everything. Uh, it was just a, such an inspiring trip. Uh, yeah, super cool. Mm. And then you went into some consulting, but do you think that that was a seed that was always um, embedded in you from then? Or did you even have it before then that you you thought uh, business for yourself or? Um, I think as a kid, I always kind of like was, uh, I mean, like I was not super businessy. I was more, more like on the nerdy part, but I always had kind of like a, uh, element of uh, this could be a business, uh, but uh, you know, maybe that was like a smaller component of my brain share. After the Silicon Valley episode, it was um, um, you know the opportunity for startups to make a difference in the world. You know, was just a much higher brain share. I end up um, now after actually uh, university, I worked for a big manufacturing company. I didn't go into consulting. Uh, four years there, uh, business school, and then less than a year in consulting afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't like consulting, so I I, I like to de-emphasize its role in my life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But you did say you enjoyed the the manufacturing, the... Yeah, um, yeah, we were like... Um, um, so I was... Uh, I end up in, in this like rotational program where every nine months I would take a very different role and a very different business unit uh, of the company in a different state, different manufacturing plant doing something totally different, different people. So I really enjoyed that because we were like making things and shipping things to actual customers. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point we had like a big issue with a um, tiny part we were making in a, one of our plants in California and the CEOs of Airbus and Boeing called our CEO saying, we need this part. The calls trickled down and then I was sent to fix that manufacturing issue in Burbank, California. So I go for three months, I live in Burbank and we're producing more of these like tiny, tiny pieces so Airbus and Boeing can make their planes. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, very, very fun thing because you see the immediate impact that you're doing. Uh, that's the nice thing about manufacturing. You see the immediate impact that you're doing on the world, right? Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so I guess like going back to your, the, the quote that uh, Zubair originally um, sort of brought up, the, the idea of always wanting to be learning something new mm -hmm. by the sounds of it, that role was had you moving around and, um, you know, learning from some some really smart people. Yeah, yeah. every nine months, like totally, totally different uh, setup, to different function, different, uh, yeah, different everything. That was a super interesting uh, time. Mm. Uh, but that said, the reason I left uh, manufacturing and went to business school is manufacturing was you know, uh, now it has a revival, but back then and for a long time in the US, you know, high cost country, uh, uh, offshore, outsource, uh, offshore, outsource. 
and we were shutting down plants, uh, moving them to Mexico, moving them to China. Um, I got to witness some of those plant shutdowns and they were like totally heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you're letting go of like grandmas that are like making uh, filters, like, you know, like, um, <laughs> like old uh, techniques. And it was just, just too heartbreaking for me. I felt like staying in manufacturing for much longer. I cannot like, you know, witness these shutdowns again and again. Um, so um, um, I wanted to do anything else and I went to business school to explore what's next for me. And at the business school, were you sort of actively working on ideas? Is that part of the course, in fact? To be, to be um, on? They actually like cranked up that uh, after after we graduated, they made it almost a requirement to start a startup. You hear school stories, right? Yeah. People coming out of, uh, yeah. of business school with their startup that goes on to... So so we, we joined business school at a very interesting time. We joined, a month later, Lehman and Bear Stearns collapse. Mm-hmm. A bunch of my friends that joined from don't have return offers anymore, don't have like a job opportunity. Um, it was like a weird time, a little bit lucky that we were there during that financial collapse, 2008. Uh, but uh, people worried about kind of their future and all of the stuff. So the general atmosphere was lucky, but we need to kind of secure jobs. Uh, and so um, two years later, everything changed. You know, the business school itself started like emphasizing, you know, entrepreneurship more, the, the market roared back after, you know, a couple of years of recession. And um, I think entrepreneurship since then has like bounced uh, up. But uh, yeah, there's, there are some startups that launched from my school, a bunch of startups actually uh, by, by now from my class. Um, but it was not as, um, you know, top of mind uh, then. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so when I graduated, I uh, took an offer from consulting company. And... Um, Every time you know, they come to campus and doing these like uh, recruiting events, uh, and every time they give you like a sheet to say which office of the consulting companies you're interested in, every time I put three different cities. Um, I kind of wanted to be a little bit closer to home, so I had left uh, Lebanon ten years prior, and I wanted to be closer so I can see my family more often. I used to see them like once a year uh, during my U.S. stay. Um, and uh, I started picking places like in the general like EMEA region, and I think on the last one uh, for McKinsey, I put like Dubai, I think I put like Brussels and Geneva, I forgot, forgot, but like I remember putting Dubai first and the Dubai office calls me and says, you have an offer to come to the Dubai office. And um, that's that's how basically I relocated back to the region. Um, they shipped my stuff here, uh, did a few studies, knew that consulting is not for me. And uh, when, um, when Mackie sent the email out that he's, you know, quitting to start a company, I emailed them immediately, mm. left two weeks later, mm. and we started Namshi together. And Meki, I met I met Meki at the same time as I met you, and he yeah. was your co-founder of, um, of mm-hmm. Namshi, and you you guys went on to do Astrolabs together. Yep. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so, and sorry if I'm like getting so specific, but like yeah. I've, I'm, you know, very, very passionate about entrepreneurship, and I've met you through entrepreneurship, so yeah. just sort of interested to to hear that, a little bit of that story, if, if we can. Um, yeah, so, so, um, a little bit of like an like the seed idea of why Astrolabs was uh, the fact that um, we felt this origin, you know, just early moments of this tidal waves of tech entrepreneurship coming to the region. And we wanted to create the platform that supports that, you know. Uh, from day one, our mission was to help build the tech ecosystem in the MENA region. Still the mission today, that didn't change eight, nine years later. 
uh, right now we're at a lot, much larger scale. Um, and we felt one of the core elements um, or two core elements that uh, enable that is um, capabilities, skills, and communities, right? Uh, you, you're, uh, you're deep into communities, creating great community of people who support each other and um, teaching slash sharing knowledge that helps people build these companies, but also the sub-functions inside companies more efficiently. So, you know, the region can a little bit accelerate the transition to like a tech economy. So important. Yeah. So important. And definitely like we, we were all existing around that same time and yep. um, you could you could feel the bubbling energy of the, of the young startups and the different elements of the ecosystem starting to come Isn't together. Isn't it amazing what we are now? Like, like the ecosystem is like much different stage Absolutely. right now than, you know, back then. And the credit to the government as well. Yeah. I think yeah. they've come along probably led in part by the likes of Astrolabs and the other sort of parts of the ecosystem. But now yeah. the government is, is, is right there. Uh, um, no, absolutely. I, th I think, you know, um, listen, I think uh, all the governments around the world know that they either transition to like a knowledge uh, tech jobs type economy or they're facing, you know, uh, uh, unemployment, uh, low GDP growth and all of this stuff. So uh, um, different governments are doing things um, in a, uh, you know, uh, different levels of success. But thankfully, you know, um, uh, the ecosystem here has like really grown, you know, and obviously, you know, Dubai um, has attracted a lot of kind of like uh, smart people for, for a long time. And that, that has kind of like, you know, enabled this ecosystem, I think, to grow faster than some of the places in the region. Yeah. Before I hand it back over to uh, Zubair, so I know a couple of good friends who have actually come up through um, through Astrolabs. Hmm. One of them quite close to our industry is uh, the guys from Schedule Fresher. Yeah. Um, Nick and William. Nick and Will doing such amazing things. And, you know, I used to come over and visit them at um, at your at your facility at um, JLT. Yep. And just see those guys coming from like, literally out of the co-working environment. So they joined actually, they joined They joined us as co-working members before even we had a co-working space. Yeah. Two levels before, because before we had the, you know, these co-working spaces, we had like a temporary space. Uh, and before that, we started like a, like a pilot, early pilot of like 10 community members who we just started to test the licensing uh, process on. And Nick was uh, one of those 10. Amazing. So they, they joined Astrolabs like like early, early, early days, 2013, basically almost, uh, I think, or early 2014. And uh, yeah, now the guy's like super successful. They're in London now. They've raised uh, uh, hundreds of millions, no? Hundreds of millions. Yeah. yeah. So amazing, amazing company. And like the, the grit and kind of like the creativity of those guys is like quite amazing, very inspiring. And we were chatting earlier to say that uh, the guys from Kareem, another huge success story of the, of the local market, was one of your early uh, boot camp participants. Yeah, they, they, they joined one of our, uh, the first one, the one that you were in, actually. <laughs> Is there any other sort of like, um, whether they're a company or whether they're a young entrepreneur, have you seen anyone who's really, you, you must have seen so many good... Like companies that like uh, like either were like part of our uh, co-working spaces of our training programs? Anyone, I mean, anyone uh, who stood out as, as someone you thought was, was interesting or maybe has made it or hasn't quite got there yet? Um, no, like so. So uh, I mean, the the the, the numbers are uh, very large. So there's there's a lot of amazing people. I mean, um, right now I'm trying to remember. Uh, again, my memory is not amazing, but uh, you know, some of our team, um, some of our um, 
participants who uh, joined uh, some of our the programs. And then uh, also we were part of the co-working space. Like uh, remember May, uh, founder of Eventus. Yes. Uh, she exited, I think, to like an international company recently. Uh, the guys at uh, Shahia joined our like program in Lebanon um, and exited to Rakuten or one of the big Japanese companies. And Rami actually joined our uh, okay. Beirut program back in 2013. Uh, now they're IPOing. Were you doing any investments as part of Astrolabs? Uh, no, we were not doing because like it was super bootstrapped. Mm. And um, um, th- that was Namshi pre-exit. So uh, we were bootstrapping our personal lives, Mohammed and I. So uh, there was there's no no leeway to do any uh, investments. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well worth taking that risk, right? To actually develop that ecosystem and to to see where the environment is now. So kudos to you, right? And to those Yeah, listen, we, we we bootstrapped it. We we um we started like super lean with the program that Leith alluded to, um, which is was like a three-day boot camp, kind of like, you know, condensing everything uh that one should know for sure on kind of scaling a company. But that we had like no office. Uh, no employees. It was just Mohammed and I uh, with uh, two laptops kind of creating the program, creating the slides, and then a bunch of volunteer kind of like uh, experts that we brought in. And there was like a lot of amazing people who participated in the programs from Amir Farha, uh, from, uh, you know, uh, the Google guys offered us their office uh, in the beginning. Uh, Tons of people were super supportive. Uh, William, um, uh, Will Hudson, um, early stages of the whole ecosystem. So many um, people were like very generous with their time, and honestly, that's that's also what enabled Astrobs uh, to exist across across the region. Uh, so we, we're super thankful for a lot of those people that like also supported. Otherwise, it would not exist now. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking about support and community, etc. If we go from the past and arrive at present day. You've just mentioned that you're potentially coming back from a sabbatical, yep. right? And I think that's that concept fascinated me. Like, what did you do on your time during sabbatical? Can you give our, our listeners an insight into that? So, um, yeah, maybe I'll start with like, why sabbatical? Um, why sabbatical is, uh, thankfully, Astrolabs now is like at scale. And then we have an amazing CEO um, who, you know, uh, became CEO basically a year ago. And at some point you wanna get out of their hair, right? You want to let them like, you know, spread their wing and fly. And then at the same time, again, we talked about like learning. Um, you could say, you know, founder of Astrolabs, chill, it's a profitable company that's growing a lot. You, know, you could technically coast on that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like the easy way, the like not learning on this cheap learning curve way. And I wanted to put myself back at like, you know, square zero and start something from scratch again, mm-hmm. something I didn't like fully understand how to uh, how to do. So... The sabbatical was basically a way for me to like, you know, disconnect a little bit uh, from from this world, uh, not not 100%, but also like give a little bit of kind of like free time to for, for me to explore ideas and uh, um, maybe also like relax my brain about like making too many decisions, all the stuff. So it was about six months. Um, during those six months, um, read a little bit less, you know, startup slash tech stuff. You read more like fiction things. Um, um, most of those six months, I, I, I spent the summers in Portugal. So most of the six months I was I was there. 
a lot of hiking, a lot of biking, kind of like being out, uh, outside, kind of like an office environment, screen environment, spending obviously more time with my son um, and kind of letting my mind kind of like reshape itself into like, you know, a, a normal state. Because when, you, when you're in a startup, you guys know, just like your mind is just like becoming like almost like a jet engine of like efficiency to focus on the objective of that organization. And then when you know, you know, when you take the sabbatical, it's you know becoming back into like you know a block of metal that has like more opportunity, right? So um, then the next thing, uh, then it, you could start like shaping it into the next thing. So I, I wanted to uh, take that time to kind of think about like next steps, and um, yeah, it was like a interesting time. I don't think um, I have a friend who's like a sabbatical guru, sabbaticalproject.org. <laughs> That's sabbaticalproject.org. Plug in, not not a sponsor of the show, uh, but. Um, um, I should have like chilled more, but I, I uh, you know, in, in his perspective, I should have like, you know, uh, there's a few things that I didn't do like, that, like a, a perfect sabbatical would be, but, but it was, it, it was useful. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, uh, you know, that chapter is like behind and kind of like working on some new things. Very cool. And yeah. do you find that when you took that moment to pause, there was other elements that you could think about, other considerations that you had that maybe you hadn't prior to taking the sabbatical? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so, uh, listen, when, when you say, oh, you know, um, I'm no longer a day-to-day part of this organization, you lose a lot of things. Mm. Uh, you lose, um, <laughs> you lose, um, you lose the community, you know, the, the team, you're not part of the team. You're kind of like a lone wolf in some, uh, some ways, right? You lose the, um, kind of like schedule of like this routine of going to uh, like the office and doing things and feeling like relevant. Uh, you lose a little bit kind of like the objective uh, or, you know, what gives you kind of like sense of meaning of, oh, you know, I'm helping this organization do X. So it's, it's kind of like a, also like a, from a um, personal sp- standpoint, it's like a weird time, right? Mm. It's almost like retirement, right? You know, you yeah. know, old people sometimes get like depressed in retirement because they mm. don't, don't have, they lose a lot of things post post retirement. Um, but thankfully in sabbatical, you know that like there's, it's a, it's a short tunnel and yeah, you're going on the other end. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, um, it's, um, it's a um, little bit of a kind of interesting time. It's, it's not just like relaxing and chilling. It's a little bit of kind of self-reflection and trying to see what, what, uh, what drives you at a deeper level. And what about once you've had the, the time away, once you've allowed the, the dust to settle and your mind to open a little bit more and you start to shift into a, a mode of trying to think of your next thing potentially, yeah. how did you go about that? Like maybe did you think of some like, like larger um, uh, buckets and then sort of distill it down to something or how did you go about sort of starting to think about the next thing? I started with the thought of what do I want to spend at least five to 10 years on, right? Uh, because it's very easy to say, oh, you know, uh, X is very hot right now. I'm going to do something in X, uh, blah, blah. I, um, you know, I wanted to do something that is, you know, passion driven, uh, very intrinsic uh, to me that I would do even if there was no one regain uh, coming out of it. I mean, thankfully, you know, uh, previously, uh, you know, that was achieved. So I wanted to do something like just passion, uh, passion based, and that, um, and but at the end of the day, you know, the, the core passion, as uh, as Bear mentioned, is for me learning. Uh, so uh, you know, um, so uh, I looked at some sectors, uh, started having conversations with friends, 
with people who are also in this like exploration mode. Um, and um, there are some like general problems that I feel exist in the world that are like I'm more interested in than other uh, other problems. Um, those were the starting points. Um, and then from there, kind of like trying to see, okay, you know, what is the type of org structure that I would enjoy? You know, I want to work with like, you know, positive high energy people. <laughs> I want to work in like sectors where uh, while I'm working with them, I'm like driven by like positivity versus kind of like out of fear. By the way, I'm not a competitive person. I, uh, I don't think we, we mentioned this, but like I don't feel a lot of uh, competitive um drive against other people yeah not motivated uh, through that no competitive, no competitive uh, the only time i feel competitive honestly is at crank uh <laughs> seriously I, I, every time i leave yeah. that uh session i'm like how am i so competitive there but in the rest of my life i'm not competitive <laughs> yeah. at all but anyway uh, shout out to nuno right yeah so. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so um uh lace will beat me though uh, i know no, like no, no. hardcore bike life is pretty good at, uh, <laughs> at cycling but it's funny like the ranking of the board like yeah. it's right in front of you you definitely has um it's, i was there yesterday and uh i was like how am i competitive here but not competitive in any other place <laughs> in my life but anyway so uh, i want sure something that's like internally driven i'm sure you are you you improve what you measure right they yeah. say so uh, i'm sure you have your uh, like my like uh, i guess they used to say this they say it less often uh, at crank now but uh, the 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 motto used to be it's you against you so i'm like less competitive with other people but um, totally beating yeah. your number from yesterday uh, no, no, at Crank, I'm competitive against other people. It's just, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, in, in, uh, in life, I'm like, kind of like, I set my own bar. Yeah. yeah. So I think you mentioned something interesting there, Line, which was you looked at what was potentially a problem in the world and how to fix that. And I think that's a really nice phrase. I'm going to remember that and store that for myself. So is that how you typically approach maybe situations and circumstances when you look at maybe creating something new or just in general? Yeah, I mean... Um, um, to be able to generate value, um, I think um, it's, I mean, uh, maybe maybe problem is like limits the, the way that it's defined, but it's, 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 a, it's a, some kind of gap in the world that like exists. It could be someone like stated problem. Oh, you know, I have, uh, you know, this issue and can you solve it for me? But, you know, like, um, uh, again, I think people give this example, like, you know, no one was saying, oh, I want a glass phone with like multi-touch, blah, blah. But it was a gap in the world, right? Mm. You know, our the bandwidth of our interaction with our phones was previously limited to typing on these tiny keys and this type of stuff, right? And you know, uh, so so it was a gap that existed in the world. It doesn't have to be someone has to state that as a their problem, but uh, yeah, I, I see what what is like missing in the world. What should be like, um, uh, what should exist that doesn't exist now? Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's usually the starting point. Yeah. And are you able to share with us what you what you started to think about or what you've got to got to in the end? Yeah. So so uh, yeah. Maybe this is the first, first public time. Um, I explored a few few um, few topics, and um, right now, uh, just as of like two weeks ago, uh, decided with a friend to explore starting a startup studio uh, that kind of like creates uh, the startups that solve those handful of problems that we've identified. Um, it's a little bit meta, uh, but in some ways it allows me to like learn on a exponential uh, way, mm-hmm. uh, working on like multiple companies at the same time. And uh, yeah, it's 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 things in like the usually like in the fintech world, uh, solving sector specific uh, problems through software, 
Um, I'm definitely personally interested in uh, like the education world and tech uh, quite a bit. So uh, that's kind of like the plan right now. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing uh, yeah. an exclusive yeah. on the on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very new. So so honestly, even some friends don't know about it. Uh, just like two, three weeks ago, it was kind of like the culmination of a lot of uh, searching. But uh, yeah, this and it, def- it definitely feels like a, 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 a path that you've, you've traveled on. And I couldn't imagine a better person uh, to be equipped to do such a thing. Yeah. Um, Part of the thinking is honestly, like usually uh, the path is uh, you either continue doing startup after startup. Uh, I mean, retirement is not an option for me. Or you move to like more like an investor uh, role, uh, fund, or you know, I'm an angel investor. And I didn't feel I'm ready for that stage in life. I feel maybe that will happen sometimes in the future, but I'm still in like building mode. Yeah. Um, and um, that allows me to be in this kind of transition from I'm in this startup for like the next 10, 20 years. And before the I'm I'm an investor. Uh, it's it's a uh, the next year's is transition time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, there's so many different directions we can go with this conversation, but in the interest of time, um, I'm going to try and zoom into just what you've just mentioned here. So number one, a lot of people tuning in have heard the term metaverse, meta in general. What was your entry point to that? So in other words, how did you educate yourself? How did you learn about the metaverse? Yeah. So so I guess it's just a clarification. When I mentioned meta here, it was more like because of the company that's building companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the meta component of uh, this. Uh, this um, Metaverse, honestly, um, it's a very interesting. Um, um, so, so the whole world of Web3, NFTs, Metaverse and all this stuff. I just keep um, like a few people that are like very interesting, on, uh, mostly on Twitter. And I follow them and I read uh, articles on this topic. Um, it's... An interesting world. I'm slightly. I'm always like skeptical of like new waves of things before they prove their own value. I think there's like a lot of cool stuff happening in gaming, metaverse. Honestly, I'm skeptical for now. Again, because of the Lindy Lance in some ways. Uh, but um, I like real life. I like you know the face to face dinners uh, that the restaurant used to organize. So so I'm actually a huge believer in real life. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, uh, software is there to help us live our lives better. Maybe at some point, you know, more and more, like, you know, this is a or a ring. So I'm more and more adopt technologies or the late, late adopter and sub technologies. Um, maybe at some point I will use like a VR headset for a certain objective. Mm-hmm. But I like to live most of my life in the, you know, real verse. So, um, um, so far, I'm, it's an intellectual curiosity. I'm reading a little bit about it, but a little bit of a small skeptical hat. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting because. Um, I'm in tech, so I'm not necessarily in the metaverse arena, but having to learn about a new environment and a new industry from scratch, <clears throat> that's actually super fulfilling, yeah. right? Like, and I guess you could apply that to across the board, but in this particular concept, it's not really defined, right? So a lot of people have kind of coined the term metaverse is maybe it's just a period of time, yep. right? Where the, that digital transformation in terms of what, radio started in terms of taking an element of your attention the tv came along took a little bit more of your attention the cell phone came and typically where eyeballs go revenue flows right and i guess if you look at the consumption rate of e-gaming and and everything around that as well the metaverse is perhaps that next phase or period of time so it'll be interesting to see how that 
kind of develops across the board. Yeah, at the same time, like <clears throat> I think I find people like do like linear extrapolation a lot. Uh, so I, I, you guys have probably seen these, uh, you know, social media posts or something, how the people in like the 1890s saw the world in 2000, you know, mm. uh, you know, the same type of like technology that they had, but a little bit faster and, you know, just like weird versions. And then like, you know, technology like just changes in ways that we don't predict so much. So right now, a lot of people like, you know, uh, maybe you guys saw the uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, metaverse uh, intro. It's just like, you know, these avatars and stuff. This is basically what um, some of us are, uh, you know, exposed to because it's like linear thinking from what we have now. But 20 years from now, it will be something super different. So I think it's also like following the thought leaders. I'm doing air quotes here uh, about what they think is the future. But also keeping, you know, it's an open, I guess, uh, perspective that might be something totally different because people have been terrible about predicting technology mm. for a very, very long time. It's basically, I think it's like, we're maybe as bad as predicting the stock market as predicting technology trends. Um, so I, th I think um, that's the cool thing about technology. It surprises us. This is, uh, you know, this is why small startups usually replace the large, huge tech companies. Is because the large huge tech companies are working on the linear extrapolation of the current uh, present, and that's in their uh, you know benefit. But then a small company catches you know a new unexpected trend and then just rides it to you know greatness. Yeah, and I think Microsoft's recent acquisition, right, is yep. a good example of that where. With one big investment, in they go, right, into a whole new space. So just to kind of wrap things up around this particular area, you started about creating something new, a new organization. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that tune into our, our podcast. What qualities or skills are you looking for as you seek to build your new team? Um, interesting question, because um, I feel like I have more to learn in that space. Uh, <laughs> have not cracked recruiting fully, although slightly better than average uh, or slightly better than 50% in toss of coin. Um, honestly, I think, um, you know, in my team, one obviously is like people that are um, nice, you know, want to work in an environment of people who are like nice. Nice comes usually from people who are um, generous and humble. Uh, I use that uh, quite often. Humble is because they want to learn um, and they know that they don't know everything. And generous because they want to help and teach uh, other people. Besides that, honestly, is um, grit, whatever you want to call it. It's just building anything new requires a lot of just going out there and just pushing, 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 right? The problem with most people is they're not used to that. You know, they're used mm -hmm. to kind of like an environment where the large organization has pre-chewed the problem for them and gave them like a list of tasks. And in a small startup, no, you have to like take these problems that are like quite hard because no one has solved them usually before. And they are not usually solvable on the first, second or third try. You have to try way more times and you need grit to that. And they're just keeping your eyes like, um, uh, you know, or you need to be like stay grounded um, and uh, just focus on you know, uh, more and more attempts in different perspectives. So in general, I think it's like, you know, nice people, humble, generous, grit, um, and I guess flexibility, mental flexibility, and like an ability, you know, people who like to um, 
do personal development, uh, develop themselves. You know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, Tony Robbins' uh, personal <laughs> development books. But, you know, people who like want to invest in themselves, um, that's actually, I think, might have people is like people who like, like to learn, not for the sake of learning, because they're able to like become better people and contribute more to the world. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great note to end on in terms of how you're seeking to build that team, right? Self-improvement, humility, it sounds fun. Sounds a bit like Rockpool, to be honest, Leif. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it seems like a team I would like to join. For sure. Okay, so before I hand back to you to wrap things up, just one final question for me. Um, Rockpool is essentially built around the routine mm -hmm. and we try to transfer those skills to our listeners. So throughout your life, your career, are there any routines that you have that you can share with our audience? Sure, besides my Rockpool uh, routine, I'm a, I'm a customer and a fan. Um, so, um, Thank you. Um, I think, um, for, you know, um, the, the routine that I think are, is most important to me is <laughs> reading uh, every day, uh, meditating almost every day, um, and um, getting a little bit of like movement and exercise, right? Um, my life is generally not. Um, super structured uh but those three are important to like keep me in like you know high energy and obviously you know eating at like a different different times um i do today i used like a rock pool shampoo which i'm quite happy nice. uh, about um before coming here i thought uh I'd uh, come with that, my sandalwood uh, shampoo. And Great your choice. Hair, your hair is looking good. I, 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 have, I have noticed. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, besides, besides, honestly, those uh, three things. Uh, for, for me, honestly, like um, spending time with my son every single day, I put him to bed since he was born, I think 99% of the nights. Uh, I put him, uh, wow. you know, like... Out of every month, it's probably 28 days, uh, 29 days I put him to bed. So uh, almost never miss a bedtime. Um, in the morning when he wakes up, he's like, Daddy, and I go to his room. That's like, you know, sometimes a little bit uh, not super pleasant after a <laughs> late dinner. But uh, it's, it's like, very, you know, spending time with my son, spending time with my family, being in touch with my, you know, mom's sister every day. Um, those are kind of like routines that are like really, um, you know, bring me happiness and joy. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That's fantastic. And thank you so much for your support with uh, Rockpool. Um, I should say that uh, you were one of the very first people that um, I came to with the early business plan um, when I was thinking about um, getting started. And you, you gave me, and I'm sure you've given so many people some great advice um, to help them on their journey. I was talking about Rockpool today. I had a meeting this morning with an entrepreneur I had never met before, but someone introduced me to um, and he has launched a like direct to consumer gummy vitamin brand. Cool. Yeah, I was like, why are you not selling on Rockpool? Definitely. And um, um, I told him that uh, I'll make an intro and uh, let's you know. connect. Yeah, yeah, important. These connections as part of the the ecosystem. So to wrap things up, because that was a perfect way to finish with uh, the routine. We're we're all about uh, positive routine, positive habits, when practiced consistently, uh, and all the benefits that can come from that. Um, I know that you're a you're a you're a customer of Rockpool, so I know mm. you've got. Um, quite a good skincare, hair care routine going. Um, so yeah, and I can I can honestly say I can I can see the. I growth. used uh, I used the facial cleanser, the Seafoam one yeah. this morning also. Amazing. I was like, I'm gonna double down on rock pool routine uh, today before yeah. the podcast to be authentic. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, when I'm here, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs>
And thank you so much. So I'm going to now jump to uh, some quick fire questions. Yep. Um, short answers, whatever comes first to your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we'll wrap things up. I was hoping this would be on video so people can like really appreciate. Uh, <laughs> we need to. Yeah. We'll, we'll take some High photos. High yeah, yeah. 8K. We'll, we'll share some photos That's on That's the next phase of the routine. We'll yeah. shoot a full editorial review, right? So. <laughs> well, your hair is shorter from when I first met you in yes, 2011. It's true. I, there was like a, usually it has been short. There was just like that spike, uh, that like year or two. Yeah. You had long hair. I, yeah. you'll, you'll always have long hair somehow in my, in my mind. M- mullet uh, in my <laughs> wife's mind. She made me cut it. On a motorcycle, long yeah. flowing hair, yeah. stuck out in my mind as this guy. Aspiring, <laughs> inspiring entrepreneur in my eyes. Okay, so let's get started. Number one, proudest life moment. Oof. Um, I mean... Just my son is the proudest thing I've uh, made in his life, and um, um, yeah, every day, uh, you know, things that good things that he does. Um, that's just, like the biggest source of pride. That's beautiful. Yeah. And what's his name? Galileo. Amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're we're heading into twenty twenty two. What do you want to do less of this year? Um, less Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You told us a little bit earlier that you you practice some some things to keep your your headspace nice and clear. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, Twitter is my the only social media that uh, I spend a lot of time on and I enjoy. And I find like positive energy out of it. Um, the other stuff I find like, you know, uh, not value additive. I'm not on WhatsApp as uh, as everyone uh, knows. Everyone who knows me at least. Um, Instagram I was on it a little bit more because uh, I'm doing some house renovation. And um, but but you know you go in for like to get a couple of mood board type stuff and just yeah. thirty minutes just flies. An algorithm designed to waste your time. Yeah, exactly. And like I never feel good about those thirty minutes. That's the problem, right? So uh, Twitter, I, I just like feel like you know uh, that I learned something new. I follow also a few people uh, on Twitter, but still, I just after like an hour on Twitter, mm. I feel like good about it. Yeah, twenty minutes on like other social media, yeah. total waste. I don't know how you guys feel, but like back to um, your conversation about the metaverse and Web3 and stuff, I feel that Twitter is providing the, the much better platform and sort of leading the charge of good conversations. Uh, at least personally, I'm back. I find myself back on, on Twitter. for. I'm a reasons. huge fan. I'm a huge fan. Love Twitter. Not an investor, but huge, uh, a huge fan. Consumer mostly. I, I don't tweet that much. I usually tweet like random ideas on my mind, uh, not uh, <laughs> to try to build an audience. But... Um, I learned so much. Uh, yeah. Also met a lot of interesting people. It's also nice that you interact with like basically anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So back to the questions. What do you want to do more of in 2022? Um, more exercising. Yeah. Routine. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's go for a ride. One. Do you have a bicycle? Um, I um, my wife does. I've I've rented at Nada Shiba uh, nice. last week, um, and we've done a night ride. But I'm happy happy to uh, do amazing. That. Let's don't take up. me to Alcudra, though. Well, but come come we'll, to Cascais this summer, and we'll do, we'll do uh, a ride. Uh, riding in uh, Portugal, yeah. Yeah. it's a dream. Yeah. Okay. What are the one or two things that you believe drives your success? Um, one or two things that drive my success. Yeah, in your mind. Um, I guess I go back to like curiosity and um, focus. I think focus is uh, more important yeah, even. Uh, I try not to be distracted by like unimportant like checklist type stuff. 
what what is the one or two things that are gonna move this ball forward? Yeah. yeah. It's a big, big. I don't know how short you want these answers, by the way. Well, I, I keep jumping <laughs> so, in and taking yeah. them even longer, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not holding true to my own rules. Um, okay, so we're almost at the finish. Second last question. Um, as a pillar of the of the ecosystem here, you've done so much for for young entrepreneurs already. Um, what's what's a piece of advice that you would give to a, to a young f- founder or someone thinking about getting into entrepreneurship at the what moment? What I would give? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so old. Uh, young founder, uh, do it for the right reasons. Don't try to impress anyone. Don't you know what, what you do and the company should not be for the investors. It should be for like the customers. You know, like do it for the right reasons. Um, yeah, I would k- I keep it one thing. Yeah, I like focus. So. Just one piece of advice: do it, do everything for the right reason. Hire, hire a person because you really need that, you know, uh, function. Otherwise, the company doesn't uh, succeed. Not to have twenty people and post that like uh, we're hiring thing on LinkedIn. You know, like just be like just reflect, self-reflect on one year why you're doing it, and every decision that you do should come from that reflection that I'm doing it for the right reasons, and I've, everything flows from that. Exactly. Yeah. And then if, if this is the case when things go not quite to plan or are tougher than you imagined, as long as you've got the true north that you're doing it for the right reasons, you, you're going to get through. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Last question. How can people get in contact with you? Um, uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, they can lo- uh, search Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, Labos, L-E-B-B-O-S. Uh, same on uh, Twitter. And um, yeah, I think that's it. My, my, my Instagram is private and Facebook is private. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you, Lewis. It's thank been you guys a pleasure. For having me. This was super fun. Thank you so much. We really no enjoyed worries. it. And we're going to hold you to the, uh, the bicycle rides or, or run with, uh, with Zubair. I cannot run. I cannot run. Uh, you can try. I've never run 10K <laughs> in my life. Like I've never crossed that. Uh, I've I've approached like eight. Never never been able to cross ten. Let's start with the ri- uh, ride, yeah. <laughs> and then after that we'll see. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of episode number ten. A huge thanks to Lewis for his time today. We will be back uh, sometime this month with uh, another installment of the Routine Podcast. If you have any feedback or would like to chat about anything at all, you can email at us at team at rockpool.co or send us a message through our Instagram. Thank you very much and uh, see you next time.